I don't know about you, but uh, when we were singing just a while ago, I sensed the Holy Spirit's presence. I remember I was at a Promise Keepers event down in Louisville, Kentucky, excuse me, Atlanta, Georgia, and the former mayor of Louisville, Kentucky, just happened to be standing right next to me, and we became friends. And he asked me the question, how do you know when the Holy Spirit is present? I said, well, for me, it's easy. I just start crying like a baby. I just, just something comes over me, and I just can't help it. And while we were singing, Pastor Jim, the tears just began to come, and I just sensed God's presence here. And right after that, he gave me a different opening um, than what I had. And how many of you, you don't need to show hands, but how many of you have ever felt you've been rejected? Maybe you applied for a job, something you really wanted, something you really sensed you'd be good at, and you didn't get it. Maybe you prayed for something, and it didn't happen. I can recall in my own life, there was a particular position I applied for three times, and three times did not get. And then the third time, I kind of just slumped down in the, my kitchen, began to cry, and said, okay, Lord, not my will, but thy will be done. There was another time I applied for another job, and I didn't get that one, and um, remember, I, everything that I said would happen if the person who got it got it did take place, so I guess I was prophetic in that way. But about six months later, I was speaking with that individual, and all of a sudden, in the middle of that, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, why are you resisting me? You asked for my will to be done. It was. Why are you resisting me? Wow. That hurt. I had. And the bottom line is this. In our life here, we're going to face a lot of situations that we don't understand. We're going to face a lot of situations where we feel rejected. The key is, what do we do with that? The key is, how do we perceive that? Do we then turn our backs on God? Or do we sense that God has a greater purpose in mind? And if we're thinking, well, God, can you possibly understand what it's like to be rejected? Yeah, he can. Because he became a man. He went to his own people, and they rejected him. So for those of you who have ever felt rejection, Jesus knows where you're coming from. And he has a word for you this morning. Last uh, time we opened up God's word, we saw a scene in Mark chapter 5 of some great faith being uh, exhibited by a woman who had been ill for 11 years. And she thought, if I just touch the hem of his garment, I'll be healed. And in that faith, she was. And then we saw Jairus, who was the ruler of the synagogue, he went to Jesus and said, my daughter is ill. If you please come and lay your hand upon her, I know she'll be healed. But before Jesus could get there, he was informed, I'm sorry, your daughter's dead. And Jesus said, 
Fear not, only believe. And Jesus went there, touched her, and raised her from the dead and restored her to her parents. Now we're going to go from a chapter in which we see the great faith of these two people, and now we're going into another chapter where we're going to see the exact opposite. We're going to see great unbelief. One of the central themes in this part of Mark's gospel is the unbelief of people who have come into contact with Jesus, and in spite of, and sometimes because of, both his message and his miracles, they're not going to believe. All of these people had every reason to trust Jesus, and yet the vast majority of them failed to do so, including his own disciples, including his own family, including his hometown. As a matter of fact, Mark presents a point counterpoint pattern as demons cry out who Jesus is and humans question it. So if we take a look up on the screen, we go back to Mark chapter 1, and the man who was possessed by a demon in the synagogue cries out, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And yet the people are questioning, what is this? A new teaching with authority. And then later, we see that Jesus, as he's uh, freeing people from their demon control, he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Later, if you recall the story where the person is paralyzed and he's on a mat and they can't get to Jesus, his four friends are, are bringing him in, so they tear open the hole in the, in, in the ceiling and they lower him down before Jesus. And Jesus says, Son, your sins are forgiven. And the people there go, what does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And Jesus said, which is it easier to do? To say your sins are forgiven or to say, stand up, take up your mat, and walk? But to let you know that the Son of Man has the power to forgive sins, he turned to the man and said, stand up, take your mat, and go home. And he stood up and he walked out. And yet the people still doubted. We see in chapter 3 that once more the demons are crying out, you are the son of God. And then we see the disciples after being on the boat and in the midst of a storm cry out to Jesus, don't you care that we're perishing? Jesus got up and spoke three words. Peace, be still. The heavens stopped. The storm was over. The sea suddenly became calm. And he said to the disciples, have you no belief? Why were you afraid? And as they landed on the other shore, they met the person who was controlled by thousands of demons who comes up to Jesus and says, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? And so now, after the little interlude of two people having faith in Jesus, Jesus is now going to return to his own hometown. In Mark chapter 6, we find Jesus is returning to Nazareth, but what Mark doesn't reveal to us that Luke does in chapter 4, he had been there a year earlier. And that year earlier, he had been rejected by the people. He had been evicted from the synagogue. 
And if you recall the story, they wanted to kill him by throwing him off the cliff. Whoa. How about that for rejection? He just calmly walked away. And now we see that a year later, he's giving them a second chance to believe. And he's going to return, but we're going to see, unfortunately, once again, they will refuse to believe. What would cause the people of Nazareth to essentially respond to Jesus by saying, who do you think you are? Well, let's take a look at some of the things that will occur there. Number one, in Nazareth, there is a climate of unbelief. We'll explain why in just a bit. We'll also find out that blindness to the truth takes many forms. We'll find out that preoccupation with one issue can prevent us from asking the right questions. You know, you can ask the wrong question and get a correct answer and still be clueless. You ask the wrong question. You ever go to like maybe a doctor or something like that, you don't even know what to ask, and they're telling you things, you're going, yeah. Once more, we need to know the right questions in order to get the right answers. But if we're preoccupied on the wrong thing, will that happen? Some people make up their minds and do not want to be confused with the facts. Do you know anybody like that? Don't raise hands. Is anybody like And they'll be pointing and turning around and looking at people. And, right? Or maybe that's you. Ooh, getting personal here. Our questions can sometimes be driven out of not so much by a desire to know, but to confirm a private prejudice. Do we have something hidden in our heart that determines how we see things? The absence of faith we see hinders receptivity to God and his activity. So, as we take a look at those things, let's dig into the text. Mark chapter 6, verses 1 through 6a. Jesus left there and went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked? What's this wisdom that has been given him? What are these remarkable miracles he is performing? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own town, among his relatives, and in his own home. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their lack of faith. As we look at verse 1, we see it says that Jesus left there. The there pertains to Capernaum, where he just healed the woman who had that uh, hemorrhage for 11 years, who touched the hem of his robe, and also raised Jairus' daughter from the dead. 20 miles away was Nazareth. We also see, so if we could go back one slide, we also see that uh, this time when he returns home, he's accompanied with his disciples. As we mentioned before, he'd been there a year before, but he was all alone at that time. Now he's bringing his disciples with him because he wants them to see the good, the bad, and the ugly. 
You see, he's their rabbi. He's their teacher. They're disciples. The disciple is a learner. He's going to be sending them out in a little while, and he wants them to understand that they will be facing rejection. Jesus knows what's going to happen when he gets to Nazareth, but he wants his disciples to be aware of what sharing the gospel will be like. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. So once more, because of his notoriety, it's been a year, he's been speaking all over the place, he's been healing people all over the place, he's been casting out demons, and he's even raised the dead, news about him has spread. So he's given the opportunity once again to speak at the synagogue. And the people are amazed. Now you'll notice as you read through Mark's gospel that the word amazed is used many times. People are constantly amazed at Jesus' teachings, at Jesus' healings, at his authority to cast out demons. However, amazement does not equal belief. Being amazed being, you know, looking at something and wow, does not translate to heart belief. Notice their reaction. Where did this man get these things, they asked. What's this wisdom that's been given him? What are these remarkable miracles he's performing? Now notice, they're not denying Jesus' message. They're saying it's fabulous. They're saying, Man, this guy is so wise. They're not denying the miracles, although we know from the text they're probably not miracles he's doing in Nazareth because they don't believe. But rather the miracles they've heard about or miracles they've seen outside of Nazareth when he's gone from town to town wherever he's gone. So they're not denying that. They're actually affirming Jesus' wisdom, Jesus' message, and Jesus' miracles. And yet, look what happens. And I'm going to add uh, George's paraphrase in here a bit. Isn't this just the carpenter? Isn't this just Mary's son? And just the brother James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? Who does he think he is? You see, familiarity had bred contempt. They thought they knew who Jesus was. They had the assumption of who Jesus was because he's just the carpenter. Now we know that Jesus was born in Bethlehem, but he was raised in Nazareth and he was trained to be a carpenter by Joseph, who was a carpenter. And they're looking at him, what, where'd you get this stuff from? So we know that in those 30 years that he was in Nazareth, we don't see miracles taking place. Jesus was living life as a normal human would live, yet without sin. And so they're stunned by what they're seeing. Where did he get this power? Where did he get this wisdom? He hasn't been trained. He hasn't gone to the schools. He's just one of us. And instead of embracing the hometown hero, if you will, they're jealous. And they turn on him. And they took offense at him. Now the word offense there in the Greek is where we get our word scandalized from. They were scandalized by Jesus. And as a matter of fact, in the Greek it actually means to stumble over. They're stumbling over who Jesus really is. They don't want to believe what their eyes are seeing. They don't want to believe what they're hearing. Yet they know to be true 
because of those assumptions. It's hindering them from seeing the truth. Jesus says to them, and this is the second time he said it to them, he said the exact same thing the first time he visited, and they rejected his message. A prophet is not without honor except in his own town, among his relatives, and in his own home. First of all, this is the first time in Mark's gospel that Jesus is referring to himself as a prophet. That's very important because we have to understand what a prophet is. A prophet is someone who speaks on God's behalf to the people. Thus saith the Lord. We also have to understand what happens to most of the prophets. The message of God is rejected. We read that throughout the Old Testament. Time and time again, they would not listen to God's word given through God's messenger. And the other thing we know that many of the prophets are killed when people can't stand to hear that message anymore. As a matter of fact, next week, Pastor Tom will be bringing us a word about the prophet John the Baptist being killed. Hmm. So Mark's pointing us ahead to what's eventually going to happen to Jesus. We have rejection here, but eventually total rejection at the cross. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. First of all, notice the people were amazed at his message. Jesus is amazed at their lack of faith. Yet there were a few people in Nazareth who came forward and asked for Jesus' healing and compassionately he healed them. Application. So what does this have to do with us then? How would I describe the climate in my heart? Is it a cloudy day in there? Or does it open to allow God's sunlight to shine in and speak its truth to me? What in my life has blinded me to the truth of the gospel? Sometimes there can be that one thing that just hinders me from moving forward. What preoccupation hinders me from asking the right questions? Am I focused on finding out one little thing that I neglect? In what ways have I already made up my mind without considering the facts? What private prejudice am I seeking to confirm rather than seeking the truth? And how receptive am I to God and his activity in my life? If we look at the people of Nazareth, very few were receptive to God's activity. Very few received the truth of who Christ was. Their hearts were hardened. They resisted stubbornly. They were obstinate. They refused to believe in spite of the facts before them. All right. So what's Jesus' reaction then to the rejection of Nazareth? Well, let's take a look at the next portion of Scripture. What lesson is he now going to teach his disciples when they face rejection? Then Jesus went around teaching from village to village. Calling the twelve to him, he began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over impure spirits. These were his instructions. Take nothing for the journey except the staff, no bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals, but not an extra shirt. Whenever you enter a house, stay there. 
until you leave that town. And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, leave that place, shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. Then they went out and preached that people should repent, and they drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. So let's go back to uh, chapter 6b there, previous slide. Thank you. So then Jesus' responses, he simply goes on to the next town and the next town and the next town. He continues to share the good news. He's teaching in village to village. And now it's time for his disciples, his learners, to be given their student teaching assignment. A short-term assignment to find out what it's like to really be a teacher. In this case, to really proclaim the good news. And so if you notice, it says he calls the twelve to him and he began to send them out two by two. Now why two by two? Okay, the reason is to, this is to a Jewish audience, the reason is to affirm according to Deuteronomy, on the testimony of two or three witnesses, that affirms the truth of something. So he's going to send them out two by two. He's also going to send them out two by two so that they could be helpful to one another, encouraging one another, equipping one another. And he gives them authority. In this case, and we'll explain a little bit lower, but in this case, authority over impure spirits. Now, these are the instructions he gave them. Take nothing for your journey except the staff, no bread, no bag, etc. Why is that? Because it's a short-term assignment. He wanted them, number one, to learn to trust God. That God will provide. Okay? Number two, he wanted them to look to others. And number three, and ultimately, they went humbly. Bag was a beggar's bag where they'd beg for food or beg for money. He didn't want them begging. And it says, do not take an extra shirt. Okay, once more, back in that day, that demonstrated that you were wealthy. Okay, we see some TV preachers, they got $1,000 suits on and everything else, and you know, just send me your money and believe you'll get a blessing. I'm living pretty good, see? Uh, that's not how Jesus was sending them out. He wanted them to be able to be part of the community he was reaching, humbly. So, as we take a look at the next part of the scripture there, the next slide, please. Very important. If any place will not welcome you or listen to you, leave that place, shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. Now, when a Jew would travel into Gentile territory, they felt that they were in unclean land. Everything about the Gentiles was unclean. So when they'd come back home, they would shake the dust off their feet as a testimony against the Gentiles that, hey, hey, you're not part of the covenant community. You've been rejected by God. You're doomed for destruction. But notice, Jesus is having his disciples go to the Jews, to the covenant people. And he's telling them that if they don't accept the message of the kingdom, shake the dust off your feet when you leave in front of them to let them know that they have rejected the message and you're rejecting them. In other words, that there is judgment on them the way they think there's judgment on the Gentiles if they don't repent and believe. Now what do they do? They go on to the next town and then the next and the next and continue to share that message. So what did they do? They went out and preached that people should repent. 
They drove out demons and they healed the sick. Let's dig in a little bit more into the text. So Warren Wiersbe writes that the word translated send in Mark 6, uh, uh, verse 7, is apostello. In the Greek, it gives us our English word apostle. It simply means to send someone with a special mission to represent another and to accomplish his work. Jesus gave these 12 men both apostolic authority, in other words, authority of being sent to carry out a mission, and the divine ability to do the job he sent them to do. They were not on their own. They represented him in all they did and said. Well, was that just for the apostles? Uh, No, there's something called the Great Commission. So we take a look at the Great Commission. To these very same men, Jesus gave them, uh, came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I'm with you always to the end of the age. So we're all called to be disciples who make disciples. This message was given to the disciples. And they're told to go make disciples. And notice, they're told to teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. And the first thing right there Jesus commanded them was to make disciples. So once more, we are given this apostolic authority, not with a capital A, but a lowercase a, authority of one being sent and the divine ability to be Christ's ambassadors who represent the kingdom of God in our neighborhoods, our communities, our places of work, to the ends of the world. So we're all on mission. We've been given the same mission. We have the divine ability to carry out whatever it is God has called you to do. For some of us, it's making disciples of our children. It might be making a disciple of a new believer. It might be sharing the good news with those in our neighborhood, those in our places of work. That's what we're all called to do. We are all ambassadors for Christ, representing the kingdom of God before the eyes of those we come across. All right. Following up here, the apostles took the healing of spirit and body to the neighboring cities. They carried out the command of Jesus. They brought first a message of repentance, forgiveness of sins, and the need for people to turn to God. The second message they brought was that of physical healing. God cares for the total person, body and spirit. God frees his people from their sins. That leads to death, and he frees them from the physical infirmities and the demons that haunts their bodies and their souls. So what are we to do with this? Basically, we're simply to recall that we're to care for the needs of others as well as share the good news of Jesus Christ. Let's turn to the last slide. Slide 12, please. Thank you. Uh, One more. And another. Thank you. So where are we going with this message then? The message is simply this. A.B. Simpson, the founder of the Christian Mission Alliance, of which Hope Church is a part, tried to simplify the gospel into the simple fourfold. Basically that Christ is our Savior, our Sanctifier, our Healer, 
and our coming king. Now, for some of you sitting here today, you may never have accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. There may be something that's hindering you, keeping you from doing so. I would encourage you today to simply turn to him and ask for his forgiveness and ask him to save you because that's what he can do. That's what he came here to die for. We just took communion today, which represented his shed blood and his body that he willingly gave on our behalf. So if you've never trusted him, today is the day that you can turn to him and be born again. What does it mean that Christ is our sanctifier? Christ is the one who will lead you into a deeper walk with the Father. The Holy Spirit living and dwelling within you will transform you. For many of us, we try to do this in our own power, and then we realize we can't do it. And as such, Christ is waiting for us to say, yeah, I know you can't, but I can't. Turn to me and make me the Lord of your life. There may be some here today who have not been as successful on their spiritual journey as they would like. Once more, Christ is inviting you to ask him into your life to transform that life. Christ is our healer. Once more, we believe that Christ still heals today. He can heal us physically. He can heal us emotionally, relationally. But once more, we have to turn to him, believe in him, and trust him for that. And finally, Christ is our coming king. We don't have a president in the kingdom of God. We have a king who's all-powerful, all-knowing, who has the ability to enable us to do everything he calls us to do. What God calls us to do, he enables us to do because he loves us. And he wants us to experience his presence. So, as we wrap up, where are you in your spiritual journey? What is it you need to ask of the Lord today? What is potentially hindering you from either having him as your savior, your sanctifier, your healer, or your coming king? Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you for the truth of your word. We want to thank you that even though we face rejection in life, you know what that rejection is like. You, Lord Jesus, came. You were rejected by your own people, even by your own family. And yet, Lord, you did that for us. Father, if there's any here today who have yet to trust Christ as their Savior, we pray that they surrender their hearts to you right now. Lord, for those who are struggling in their spiritual walk, we pray that they would reach out to you and likewise allow Christ to fill them with his love, to fill them with the power to overcome the struggles in their life, and Lord, to allow the Holy Spirit to guide them in their walk day by day, step by step, moment by moment. And Father, for those who need healing, we would ask that you'd grant them healing, Lord, the healing that only you can do, the healing that leads to a closer relationship with you. And Father, help us all to recall that you are a king and we are your ambassadors to extend the kingdom of God here on earth. And Lord, we're thankful that you enable us to do it and we ask we would do so well. We ask this now, Lord, in Jesus' name. 
Amen.